Hello, and welcome to another Discord and Rhyme Q&A, which in my case refers to quarantine and alcohol. Ha! Ha 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 ha. Yeah, this is a rare case where we were recording so close to release date that we can be kind of topical, and the topic of the day, as you all know, is coronavirus. And the only reason I bring it up is because a lot of musicians are getting really screwed by this, so just make sure to buy music directly from them, go to their band camp, just do whatever you can to give them money during this difficult time for them. You're here. Anyway, I'm Rich Bunnell, Phil Maddox, and John McFerrin. Yes, and we are answering some questions from listeners this episode. So let's uh, let's jump in, unless you have any introductory question comments or anything. Nope. I thought it was very clear that I was not to be questioned. Then why are you here? Well, you asked me to. Okay, so we're going to start with a question from our friend Casey, and it is about the Moody Blues. What? Wait, somebody's <laughs> asking us about the Moody Blues? Yeah, so many of our listeners are going like, ugh, and just like hitting like the 20 seconds forward button on there. Well, screw them. Anyway, the question is, if you could direct a music video for any Moody Blues song, which would you choose? So Amanda says, what am I doing here? You're not here, Amanda. No. So it's not a commercial song at all, but somebody could turn that into a very cool story. I don't know this song, so you guys are going to have to fill me in on the... It's good. <laughs> cool. Mike says, I think I'd pick the Ray Thomas suite from the end of Long Distance Voyager. It would be shot on videotape and have lots of cheesy old school blue screen effects. Yes. <laughs> John, what about you? So I've actually given a lot of question to this thought over the years, and my answer is kind of dumb. But for some reason, I've very long been stuck on the idea of a music video for Foolish Love from the Strange Times album. And I really have no idea why. And I, I just had this vision of this very, very terrible video that would pretend that it was 1989 instead of 1999 when the song uh, came out. It would have very soap opera production. It would probably be terrible. What about you, Phil? See, I would go with Rock and Roll Over You from the Other Side of Life album, which is a terrible song. And I don't even know what I would put in the video other than making sure Ray Thomas is in there dressed like a biker like he is in the Other Side of Life music video. But I would just want to have more people hear this delightfully stupid song, and it would be a fun chance to make something as maximally the 1980s as humanly possible. Like a rock, like a rock, rock, like a, like a, like, like a rock, like a rock. Uh, yeah, and my choice is Vintage Wine from Sir La Mer, with Justin Hayward captioning a ship as my lovely co-hosts are tied to the mast and forced to listen to it. I like that oh, one. I probably well, shouldn't. Oh, I also like that well. song. So let's uh so Casey has another question. With spring just around the corner, what album do you absolutely have to listen to in the spring? Uh so Amanda answers Abbey Road because it has Here Comes the Sun on it. And she also tends to get super into Madonna in the springtime too. And Mike says Stravinsky's right of spring is always a must. It is always a must. He is right. Will answers Kerosene Hat by Cracker and Singles Going Steady by the Buzzcocks. And I've never heard the first one, but I Definitely approve of the second one. You should hear Kerosene Hat. It's real good. Uh, so much music. So little time. But I'll do it. I'll do it. <laughs> that, that wasn't my way of saying I'm not going to listen to it, Phil. <laughs> I, I love Kemper Van Beethoven. Uh, John, what about you? So I had to think about this question a lot. And what I realized is that I don't have a specific go-to in the spring. What happens to me is that I will start to get these urges to carve out time to re-listen to all of the studio, studio albums of some random artists for my collection. So I'll say, I should go re-listen to all of R.E.M.'s albums or all my Bird's albums. And then what happens is that by April or May, I forget that I wanted to do it. And then I spend the summer wishing I had taken the time to do it. You could listen to the Birds and the Bees. Except I'm pretty sure the Bees only had like two songs. I could do that. 
You can listen to the birds, the bees, and the monkeys. Let's see. Uh, as for me, I'm still getting used to associating music with seasons at all, like having grown up in California. Though I, I guess that didn't stop Mike, but he's more imaginative than I am. But uh, XTC's Apple Venus Volume 1 came out like uh, with the spring approaching, and it's always felt like a really, really spring album to me with uh, with songs like Easter Theater yeah. on it. And the, and the follow-up album Wasp Star, Apple Venus Volume 2, while not nearly as good it in turn like feels really really summery and i remember that the song playground which opens the album was basically my song of the summer of 2000 um and then finally since i've moved to michigan and experienced snow i can confirm that listening to bjork while walking while walking through the snow is really really cool actually just really quick if we're if we're going to touch on all seasons i do have a really strong association with fall um, for some reason, every fall, I really, really get into a kick of wanting to listen to as much Brahms as possible. Oh, yeah. That didn't occur to me that I broke out of the bounds of the question. Yeah, no see, worries. See, this is what it's like for me now. Like, it's it's always spring in California. So now that I'm in Michigan, it's like, oh, my God, seasons. I must experience them and associate songs with them. Well, you can't contain Rich. He's truly a man of all seasons. Yes. My taste in music is reputedly deplorable. Your taste in music is excellent. It exactly coincides with my own. I am a man for all seasons. Phil, what do you think? So I never really thought about it too much, but just when I saw this question, like the two albums that immediately leapt to mind for me were um, Waiting for the Sun by The Doors and the Violent Femmes debut album. And that's because I did a lot of outdoor chores, mowing grass, etc. when I was, you know, a kid, like 12, 13, 14. And I had a Walkman, and the only two albums I actually had on cassette at that point were Waiting for the Sun and the Violent Femmes debut, so I listened to those <laughs> a ton. <laughs> I had tons of CDs and vinyl and stuff, but those were my cassettes, aside from, like, some mixtapes. So I listened to those albums so much, and I had never really thought about what's something I listened to in the springtime, but... Those were just the two that instantly leapt to mind. So I guess there's a, an association buried deep in my brain. Mm -hmm. Waiting for the Sun isn't even a particularly good Doors album, but I probably nope. listened to it 800 times. Huh. Any other seasonal associations? I'm your jam band guy. I like listening to concerts that were performed on the day it is. <laughs> so it's like, oh, it's the winter. I'll listen to this show from the winter. Okay, so here's another question from Barry, who is one of our patrons on Patreon. Ooh, Barry! And if you want to support us with a monthly donation, you can just go to patreon.com slash discord pod. And there are some cool perks there. But anyway, Barry asks, DNR folks, I have several technical questions. First, how long does it take to put a show together? And what editing and production software do you like to use? So producer Mike dropped in a nice detailed answer here about like his side of the production uh, process, which we didn't really get to hear last time. So producer Mike says... Once we're done recording, Rich goes through and, ch and cuts out all the chaff, false starts and tangents that would otherwise make every episode about two and a half hours long. That's true. Uh, I would say even longer than that in some cases. He has to cut out at least 15 or 16 critic references from me per week. <laughs> yeah. So Mike says, then I take the wave files that he's edited down and run them all through a fancy noise reduction algorithm in Isotope RX. I think that's how it's pronounced. Uh, to get rid of any background noise that might have weaseled its way in. I got a weasel, got a weasel, it's a teasel, it's a teasel, my weasel. <laughs> <laughs> Once I'm through with that, I load everything into Ableton Live, which I use just because it's what I'm most familiar with. And Mike adds that point because Ableton Live is like ridiculously high-end DJ software that he just happens to own. He's awesome. Uh, anyway, and that's where I do all the little micro edits that you don't notice if I did them right. Add the music clips and add EQ and compression to all the host tracks to make everyone sound nice and smooth. The whole post-production process takes me about a week altogether, and I try to get each episode done by the Friday before it goes live, in case anyone has any extra edits they want done. 
and also because Get Em Out By Friday is a Genesis song. Right, we gotta get the approval of the Winkler. <laughs> so I would add for my part of the production process, uh, so Mike does the main episodes. I edit and produce the comp episodes myself, which is why they're a lot simpler and don't sound nearly as good. Because uh, um, produce is a pretty generous description of what I do compared with what Mike does, because I'm very much playing by ear and learning as I go. Uh, so those episodes usually take me about two to four hours, depending on how, I, how amb- ambitious I get with extra clips. Uh, and the software I use is just Audacity, which is the standard open source audio editing software that you can get everywhere. And finally, as for the the prep that goes into each episode from the host, well, uh, John, you have a little bit here. To, yeah, uh, just I just want to throw in something on this. So recording of the actual episode takes place typically one to three weeks before the release. And the preparation for that uh, typically be- begins one to three weeks before recording. Uh, for me personally, I typically set a schedule such that I want to have different portions of the episode complete by certain dates. So I set a date by which I want to have the overall introduction in place, the personal history, the band history, the individual tracks, and then with the clips uh, selected last. Uh, now, one exception I want to make note of uh, with this general process had to do with the War of the Worlds episode. Uh, so usually I pick the clips last, but this was a case where I actually had to pick them first, um, simply because I had no idea how I was going to shape the episode. It was only after starting to get the music in place that I could even begin to put any narrative in place around it. If I tried to do it the other way, it probably would have been impossible. I think that all of us prepare for episodes a little bit differently. Some people plan very meticulously. Some people do not plan as meticulously. I'm very much more of an extemporaneous person. I put a lot less thought in advance into it i tend to if it's an album that i'm on an episode for i crunch for at least a week just listening to it all the time occasionally taking notes if it's an album i'm hosting i'll listen to it a few times but if it's an album that i just know by heart i may not listen as deeply everybody here has really got their own methodology so there's no one way that we all put it together yeah, Which and, is it work, what, and it works for all of us. I think Ben will just like write 20 pages of notes the day before, and it'll be awesome. So whatever works for everyone. And the thing is, like, if I tried to do it Ben's way, I would crash and burn. If I tried to do it Phil's way, I would crash and burn. Mm-hmm. I'd, I'd right. do what works for me. Right. I can't just read a script because then I will feel like a robot, which is not does not mean that other people do. It's like that's how I would be. So I kind of have to give myself some room to be loose with the answers and responses or else I don't feel as comfortable doing it. So really, with eight people who are, you know, united by being big music dweebs, but are different in a lot of ways. We all have our own methodology. I think uh, it all comes together very seamlessly, which I think We, we hope it does. We hope it does. Well, uh, Mike stitches the seams together very well. But Barry has another question, which he put in parentheses, ridiculous? I don't think it is, though. If you could pick only one type, style, or genre of music to listen to the rest of your lives, which would each of you pick? John, what do you think? So my answer to this um, is actually the solo concerto. Since my late 20s, my favorite musical genre has been the solo concerto, and in particular, the piano concerto. Um, And I have reasons for this. I love the combination of piano and orchestra the way that most people love peanut butter and chocolate. And I'm Mm. really fascinated by the different ways composers can choose to approach uh, these two elements. 
You can create a cooperative relationship between the piano and the orchestra like Mozart does, or you can create an adversarial relationship like Beethoven does. You can make the piano the clear star like Liszt would do, or you can make the piano essentially function as a second orchestra like Brahms did in his second piano concerto. And you can also emphasize the piano as a string instrument like most composers do, or you can emphasize the piano as a percussion instrument like Prokofiev does. And it's it's a if I could only just take the entire world of of solo piano of piano concerti through history and just say this is all you can listen to, I'd say, you know what, I'd be fine with that. And Amanda answers, I suppose rock is too broad a category, so I'll go with art rock. That encompasses a lot of the artists I especially like, and there's a lot of variety in that genre. And Phil, what about you? You have something here. Yep. So that's a real hard question, and I'm going to kind of use a cheat answer uh, and say jam bands, which I don't really think jam band is a genre, but a lot of people do. A lot of people say, like, Fish, their genre is jam band, whereas I think, you know, they're a band that happens to jam a lot who have their own distinct style. But if we, you know, accept that jam band is a genre, which I am going to say here that it is because I've seen enough people argue it, even if I disagree, because I mean, if you put on a fish album or a fish concert, rather, they're going to play everything from prog to funk, which I know some people on this podcast would argue are the same thing, but I digress. (laughs) And they'll play all that stuff in the course of their shows and do it reasonably well. Or you can put on a Grateful Dead show and they'll do folk music and country music and then avant-garde psychedelic freakouts. So that way I can get a whole bunch of different styles in at once and kind of cheat it into being one genre. I think jam, I think jam band counts as a genre, honestly. Like, I, there's a very particular sonic palette that I think of when I think jam band. And I also think of you, Phil. Ah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, for me, well, as soon as this question came up, people said, oh, Rich is going to say bangers. But I don't know. Like, I think that would drive me crazy. Like, I'm thinking of that Key and Peele sketch where they're, like, where, where they're playing LMFAO and they're just trapped in this, like, party that never ends in, the, in like, this Groundhog Day style loop. And it's going, like, there's a party going on and it's that going is... all right. Yeah. I'd forgotten that sketch. That sketch is hilarious. It is hilarious. Yeah. And that is what listening to bangers for the rest of my life would be like. Like, and I guess by bangers, I mean, like, high energy, like, you know, dance music and stuff. So my actual answer is, insofar as they might be giants is their own genre which they are i would gladly listen to them for the rest of my life i thought you were going to say your favorite genre of music was mash what if not bangers (laughs) oh i was like the movie (laughs) is there any music in that movie oh yeah there's like suicide is painless yeah you just listen to suicide is painless on a loop over and over and over and over again Yeah, that's my favorite genre, just listening to that song over and over again. Okay. That would be terrible. So it would be. Franco uh, asks us, first off, I'm just curious, of all the episodes you've recorded so far, which one is your favorite? This is a fun one to answer. So Amanda says, overall, War of the Worlds, which John, which John hosted, because it is an insane album, and I think we did a great job breaking it down. Of the ones I had nothing to do with, I being Amanda... Uh, I'm going with Beefheart because you guys were super ambitious and you totally succeeded. Uh, Beefheart being Captain Beefheart's Trap Mask Replica, which Dan hosted in his episode 26. And also she loved the concept of the get out of Beefheart free card. You need that card. (laughs) Will adds, I also found the Beefheart one fascinating. For an album I will never ever listen to again, I thought everyone involved kept the episode a total page turner. Agreed. 
I'm getting tired of reading these. Phil, why don't you read Mike's? Mike says, my two favorite episodes are both ones Amanda hosted. One is the Dave Matthews Band episode, because it's funny and it's the episode that most lives up to our name. And the other is to our children's children's children, because it was so much fun to record. Yeah. Which, uh, if you're not familiar, that was the episode where we record the podcast remotely, and that's the one where we actually all got together and recorded it in the same room up in Michigan. It was fun. So just from the perspective of being fun to record, I really loved doing the Nuggets ones. Those were all a blast to record. <laughs> it, didn't, it didn't seem like it at the end, Phil, for you. you were... <laughs> they, they, were, they, they wore you down because there's mm-hmm. not so much you can say. But for the first while, they were a lot of fun. I was still, still having fun by the end, even when I was running out of things to say. And I guess for me, it's hard for me to really be objective and say which one is the best because... I can't listen to anything I'm involved with and have any kind of objectivity. I'll always, like, just listen to myself and hear all the mistakes and things. Oh, I wish I said that differently. So I'm either going to tend to like episodes that were a lot of fun to record or episodes that I had a lot of fun preparing for. So in terms of fun to record, I like the Nuggets ones. And I also really liked doing the Earth, Wind, and Fire one and the Janet Jackson one because... That kind of music, or just R&B in general, is not a genre I was very familiar with. And then, when I had to do those episodes, I really immersed myself in these artists. And I came out of it with kind of a deeper appreciation for styles that I was not previously that familiar with. So, from my own perspective, I like the episodes where I get to hear things that I hadn't heard before. Mm-hmm. Which is probably not that useful for a listener if it's a, like, what's the best episode? But... Those are the ones that are the most memorable to me as a participant. Uh, John. So I also picked two. Uh, my favorite episode that I was a part of but didn't host was the Stevie Wonder Songs of the Key of Life episode. Uh, partially because it's a great album and the discussion was great. And partially because it was fun for me to do something that had nothing to do with Prague. Or did it? <laughs> uh, my favorite episode that I had nothing to do with was the episode on Wasp's Nests by the Sixths. Uh, largely because it helped turn me towards a corner of the rock music world that it turns out I really enjoy, even though for some reason I've weirdly largely avoided it. Yeah, and we we can just say it here. Like, uh, John, you liked uh, the Songs in the Key of Life episode so much that you're doing your own Stevie Wonder episode soon. Yes, you're, you're yes, going, you're I going am. to be covering. We are going to be covering Intervisions in just a few months, and part of that is so I can be on it. I want to talk about Stevie Wonder, but uh, we'll get to that soon. So. My favorite episodes are uh, Pink Floyd's Metal, which Mike hosted recently and was just amazing. Yeah. Dan hosting Trap Mask Replica, which we also talked about. And and finally, Under the Table and Dreaming by the Dave Matthews Band, which uh, which Amanda hosted. And that one was just a blast. Uh, I think the first one where we really like clicked together as a group, in my opinion. Uh, and they're the best expressions so far of everything I envisioned this podcast being. Uh, but just so every host gets their due. Uh, my favorite Phil episode is Secret Treaties by Blue Oyster Cult. My favorite Ben episode is Setting Suns by The Jam. Uh, Will, the, the aforementioned Wasp's Nests by The Sixths which I keep having to say on this podcast. And for John, the War of the Worlds episode, because, duh, that one was so good. Yeah. Okay, and Franco goes on to ask a much headier question. How would you personally define music? Like, how would you define stuff like 433 by John Cage, Revolution 9 by The Beatles, and Metal Machine Music by Lou Reed as being non-music because they lack the traditional elements that are commonly associated with music? What is music to you personally, and where do you draw the line if you have one to begin with? 
So I really like Will's answer. He says, there's a very interesting album on the Sublime Frequencies label called Broken Hearted Butterflies. Supposedly these butterflies in South America, if I recall, are so desperate to find a mate that they make churring noises that are so emphatic that their hearts actually explode. It may not be music by a lot of people's definitions, but any sound that can affect you emotionally, like listening to these lovesick bugs, can fall under the music umbrella for me. And that is just a wonderful answer, Will. And I, I recommend that that everybody look up the Sublime Frequencies label because they have a lot of uh, interest because they have a lot of interesting releases along those lines. So, John, what about you? Yeah, so I, I gave this some thought, and I I thought back to a definition I came across uh, a long time ago, uh, which suggested music as simply sound organized over time. And I think that's a, a good fallback answer. Um, regarding 433, I tend to consider that more of an interesting philosophical exercise in relation to music than music itself. But I absolutely get the argument for, for it as music. Now, as to where to draw the line, that can be tough. I have trouble knowing where it should be. I'll, I'll give an example. I largely consider Revolution 9 to be music. Um, I, I feel like it can pretty cleanly uh, fall under the Stockhausen umbrella. But the difficulty with that is if it's music, then I have to figure out why would I consider Revolution 9 to be music, but then why would I have such a difficult time with Paul McCartney's Liverpool sound collage, which I'm pretty sure doesn't qualify as music, and yet I'm having trouble figuring out why. And you're reviewing that right now, or you just reviewed it? I'm I'm gonna write about it in a couple days, yeah. And it's gonna and it's gonna get the highest possible rating. It'll get the highest possible rating that it can possibly get. <laughs> that is a good way of putting it. Uh, okay, so Mike says, quote, I think the only thing that makes music music is that it's intended to be experienced as music. If I try to define it more strictly than that, it falls apart. So when I hear something I don't like, it makes no sense to dismiss it as quote, not music because I've already lost that argument. I have to really think about what it is I don't like about it. In the case of Metal Machine Music, the reason I don't like it has nothing to do with it being an hour of noise, and much more to do with how static and unvarying the noise is. But I can't deny that it's music. I mean, it's right there in the title. End quote. I think that's a good way of putting it. Uh, for me, I much like Mike and Will, I tend to veer toward letting people define music on their own terms. And I think Will summed it up really well with the Sublime Frequencies example and the lovesick bugs. And uh, when people tend to gatekeep about what can and can't be music, it just... It, for me, it reminds me of the people who used to like go on to Roger Ebert's website and repeatedly just egg him on about whether video games are art. And for me, I was just like, who cares? It's all just an expression of people's egos and hangups. But uh, that's just kind of how I am about these sort of debates. Well, just building on that, I, I, I was thinking about this, uh, and, and it, it occurred to me that if you it, historically, if somebody takes the position that a certain work is not music or it doesn't fall under the music of the the umbrella of what music is supposed to be mm -hmm. what tends to happen is that 50 or 100 years later they tend to look dumb <laughs> and i would rather err on the side of being aggressive in declaring something to be music than to than to have my mindset look foolish and antiquated 200 years from now but I'll tell you what's not music. It's that awful hip hop music. <laughs> well, that's that's just people talking over a beat. Anybody can do that. <laughs> also, I'm a 90s suburban dad now. Then I took the cat and I hit it with a bat. <laughs> no, I would never do that. <laughs> yeah, but nowadays I think 
it's pretty clear usually anybody who tries to make the old rap that's not even music argument gets pretty yeah. thoroughly laughed at mm-hmm yeah, it, it, I, I guess I just generally don't like arguing with people in general, and that's a, uh, and that's an argument I especially don't want to get into. It's just so tedious. Nobody ever gets moved on it, and then you realize you're just engaging on points you've seen a dozen times before. It's like, there's got to be better ways to use my life. Everybody's just basically arguing aesthetics, yeah. and mm-hmm. it's it's a pointless argument. I figure if you like it and it's music to you, then hey, guess what? It's music. So, Franco, your question is stupid. No, no, that was a great (laughs) question. Yes. But anyway, let's get on to Franco's next question. He sent a whole package. Uh, What appeals the most to you in music? What do you listen for the most? Do you find the melodies the most engaging or the lyrical content or the sonic textures and arrangements, etc., etc.? What is it that really draws you into a song more than anything else? In the broadest, most abstract sense, I would say that Music should make me feel or it should make me think. And if a piece of music can do both for me, I will tend to really like it. And if a piece of music does neither for me, I will probably not like it. I feel that To the Power of Three makes you think. But it shut my brain shuts down as quickly as it can as a defense mechanism. So Amanda says... I agree with John, but if we're getting into specifics, then it's melody. It's not the foundation of music. I think that's rhythm, but it's the element that tends to appeal to me the most. Phil, what about, Phil, what about you? It's it's really hard to narrow it down to one thing. I guess I'm not really a lyrics guy unless the lyrics are either spectacularly good or spectacularly bad. I really like interesting rhythms. You know, records like Remain in Light grab me really hard. I also just like listening to talented soloists play, which, if you combine those two things together, that's why I like a lot of jam bands and jazz music, which is Mm -hmm. a lot of the times a band getting into an interesting groove and then just writing it for a while while talented musicians play solos and play alterations of the theme. Like, if you lock into a groove that's really cool, like, I can ride it for 15, 20, 25 minutes and not get bored at all. A good example of this would be, like, Hallelujah by Can. Uh, for me, on a pure nuts and bolts level, clearly rhythm uh, is is like the base of music to, uh, for me. I mean, like that's what music is. It's vibrations, like it's things that move you. But on a wider level, it's uh, for me, it's it's context, and it always yeah. has been because uh, every song on every album is just like a little piece of history to me, and that's how I've always enjoyed music. Okay, and Franco has one last question. Could whoever is on this episode rank all core seven Moody Blues albums? More Moody Blues questions I'll take this one. from best to worst. So this this is just this an attempt question, to break us up, it, right? Yeah, this question is the equivalent of Eris throwing the golden apple that uh, indirectly started the Trojan War. Like, there's no fiercer question you could throw into us. However, the the objectively correct answer. <clears throat> Uh, two are children's children, days of future past, seventh sojourn, a question of balance on the threshold of a dream in search of the lost cord. Every good boy deserves favor. Done, right? Well, Franco asked for whoever is on this episode, but Amanda decided to throw in her thoughts because she gets to do that. So Amanda says, John is wrong. It goes, to our children's children's children, on the threshold of a dream, days of future past, seventh sojourn, in search of the lost cord, a question of balance, every good boy deserves favor. That is final. 
Mm. And she also adds, on a less argumentative note, this is reminding me of that silly exercise where you read a paragraph with the words all scrambled. Only the first and last letters are in the right places so you can still read and understand it. As long as the first is to our children's children's children and the last is every good boy deserves favor, we understand each other just fine. If you, the listener, have put yours in a different order altogether, I may not understand you, but if you put enough thought into this to have a definitive Moody Blues ranking, I like you plenty. This is just a Moody Blues podcast at this point. On one hand, that's an interesting way of thinking about it. On the other hand, the correct answer is to our children's children's children, on the threshold of a dream, days of future past, a question of balance, every good boy deserves favor, in search of the lost cord, seventh sojourn. Leaves. Podcast forever for me it's seventh sojourn to our children's children's children days of future past on the threshold of a dream in search of the lost cord long distance voyager combo breaker the present that's right these two albums are worth being ranked among the core seven you jerks (laughs) and then a question of balance and then every good boy deserves favor mic drop what i'm getting out of this is that i like every good boy deserves favor a lot more than y'all yeah it's fine it's fine (laughs) okay we've finally gotten through franco's question thanks franco so cameron one of our most active twitter fans asks which episodes do you think a different host may have most interestingly affected and he's and he says no intent to devalue anyone's contributions all of you are great he's just interested in alternate timeline dnr episodes thanks cameron so Will says that he, he knows that John was really bummed that he didn't get to be on the Ween episode. And although he wouldn't remove anyone from that cast, adding John as a fifth combatant would have been a plus. Honestly, I uh, like because the, because those early episodes were done on like kind of crappy mics and we were still like really nervous um, and like still like figuring out what we were doing. I, Ween is a band I would like to revisit, honestly. Like I think, Phil, I think you did a great job with it, but just I would love to do like an HD Ween episode at some point. Quebec. Yeah, Quebec. Yeah. Quebec would be awesome. Uh, For me... Uh, when I was thinking back what would have been really, really funny, I like to imagine a version of the Dream Theater episode with Phil and Shivam on one side and me, Ben, and Will going against it. It Just three of us going, how, how, is, how is this album a thing? Why are we listening to this? <laughs> I, think that, I think that would have been one of our, our best sources of Discord. I think Ben would have been completely lost on that one. It would have like been great. Completely that out of been context. Mm-hmm. So I'm a fan of interesting Discord, so I think it would have been fun to drop Amanda into Trout Mask Replica. I think uh, I don't think she would have liked that one very much. Um, I mean, so, well, like, having, we initially scheduled Amanda on A Wizard of True Star as, like, one of the, by Todd Rundgren as one of the panelists, and I think that was roughly the same thing, like, uh, like, she listened to it once and was like, oh, uh, me no like, and I think. Something similar happened with the Brian Eno episode as well. Yeah. Also, John has enough of a reputation for being a prog and art rock guy and into like classical music and everything that it would have been very interesting to just drop him cold into Deltron 3030. That's true. It would have. Mm-hmm. We would never do anything like that at any point now, would we? No, of course not. No, we never will. Never, mm-hmm. ever, 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 ever. Nope. Yeah. So, well, so I'm on almost every episode. So it's almost, so it's tough for me to like envision alternate universes where I'm not on ones, but. Uh, I generally veer away from ones where I'd be a spoil sport, and uh, the Radiohead episode would definitely have been way less of a big group hug if Amanda and I were on it, let me tell you. Yeah. So, 
Joseph asks, what albums slash artists slash genres, if any, have you changed your opinions of most due to the podcast? And uh, Amanda says, funk. I doubt it'll ever be my favorite thing to listen to, but doing the Mothership Connection episode uh, by Parliament showed me that I like funk music a lot more than I thought I did. So I've gotten way more into R&B while being on this podcast. That's the genre that's definitely I've I've definitely changed my opinion on the most. It wasn't that I disliked it. It's just that it wasn't really something I actively listened to. But, for example, I was almost entirely unfamiliar with Earth, Wind, and Fire outside of some of their super ubiquitous songs before the episode, and I now have and am familiar with all of their albums, even the one with a guest appearance by MC Hammer. So understand, the bottom line plan, I do, 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 want to be a man. Wow. I think even I stopped before that one. I wouldn't say I've changed my opinion on things per se, but what I would say is that the podcast has done a great job of pushing me out of my shell, which sometimes I need to be pushed out of, and uh, persuading me to finally listen to artists where, in retrospect, there was no good reason for me not to have listened to them much before. Um, some examples of this would be P-Funk, the B-52s, Duran Duran, Woo! Cocteau Twins, and even something like Mountain Goats. And for me, the artist that I definitely like changed the most on was almost certainly Pink Floyd. And it, and it wasn't just Mike's metal episode, uh, but just the whole process of putting together this podcast. And I think I mentioned this during the metal episode, just everyone continuing to obsess over Pink Floyd like it was still the old days. It, it, re- it rekindled my interest in a band I'd kind of written off uh, when it turned out I hadn't I just hadn't heard most of the really weird and fun stuff, which is like the the gooey middle of Pink Floyd. Right, the post-Barrett, pre-Waters domination era, which is an awful lot of fun. Yeah, and I echo John on the on the on the podcast pushing me out of my shell. Like, uh, I wouldn't say they were genres that I dismissed uh, or like didn't like, but like uh, for example, like Amanda doing the Rhiannon Giddens episode and uh, and Raising Sand by Alison Krauss and uh, yeah. and Robert Plant. Like, I, I those are. Just just that whole, like, T-Bone Burnett, like, Americana, Bluegrass, etc. I, I just never would have listened to that on my own. So, yeah, this podcast has absolutely pushed me out of my shell in multiple oh, yeah. ways. I would have absolutely never listened to Control by Janet Jackson. So this one's from Bob. What are your takes on the current revival of psychedelic music? Uh, say, Tame Impala, King Gizzard, MGMT, etc., quality-wise. Do you find it interesting that it resonates with so many young people? Well, Bob, this question was for me. But I don't have any useful answers for this because I am old and out of touch. However, some of our other people are not as out of touch. (laughs) They are about the same age, however. I'm that out of touch. Uh, Mike said, I like King Gizzard, but it's true that I've never felt so old at a concert as when I saw them a couple years ago. I'm not sure why psychedelic music is having such a moment right now especially since it never really went away, but I like that it is. This is a whole style that I've been meaning to check out. Not psychedelic music, I've heard tons of that, but this kind of modern revival of it. Like, I've really wanted to check out uh, King Gizzard and the Lizard Wizard, mm-hmm. not just because of their fantastic name, but I. it's just something I unfortunately have not checked out yet, but I probably will at some point. So if we do another question and answer, you know, a year from now or whatever, I might have more of an answer then. But unfortunately, at the moment, I just am not familiar. I'm kind of awful at reading contemporary culture, so I can't really speak to the musical tastes of my fellow kids and what they represent. Uh, but as for Tame Impala, I like the album Lonerism a lot, like their their big album, especially 
I don't know. One thing I like about it is the way the first three tracks like sort of form kind of a dreamy mini suite where none of the songs has a conventional structure, but they all but they all flow into each other and feel really tight and focused, uh, which uh, like I never really know what to expect for, uh, from it, which is a tough needle to thread. But um, I also didn't realize that Tame Impala were a guy and not a band until like a few months ago. So I can't really call myself an authority on them. I learned Excuse that me, just the second. <laughs> yeah. And uh, I thought I, it was a band. So our final question, Sydney asks, what were your favorite local, regional, or otherwise lesser-known bands during your formative concert-going or record-collecting years? And so Will answers, while the Dead Milkmen were on hiatus, Joe Jack Talcum recorded a few cassette releases under the name Touch Me Zoo, which I f***ing devoured. Wonderware Music, Moon Dog Will Die, and Lawn King, all lo-fi, silly pop punkish stuff, all catchy and personal and wonderful. I can't seem to find them online at the moment, but drop me a line and we'll figure something out. I get the sense the Dead Milkmen are cool about trading that sort of thing. Personally, myself, I was never really up with the local music because I spent a lot of time listening to, di- to, to dinosaur bands with these fellows, just whatever was prescribed on, on the websites that we... But the uh, the new pornographers were relatively lesser known when I got into them in 2002, and it's uh, it's been really fun watching them grow over time into like a songwriting empire of sorts. But they're, I would still call them kind of a cult band. I, I didn't really have an answer for this one. Do the Moody Blues count? <laughs> they probably don't. They do. They did at some point. Let's let, let's count them. But yeah, I think that brings us. Uh, I think that brings us to a close. But yeah, that was a good set of questions. Uh, shall we call it a night? Well, yes, let's. Yes, let's. I give it to me and come on through because I wanna 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 be with you.